0: Welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Kate Nelson. Kate Nelson is the plastic free mermaid, an environmentalist, science communicator, plastics activist, yogi and author of I Quit Plastics and You Can Too. What a brilliantly written introduction. Is that you that wrote that to Maya? Excellent. Well done. We've already had the conversation. I found her to be, well, uh, Demaya there remarked that uh, Kate Nelson had a lot of flow. Her Instagram account's pretty good. It was my wife that drew my attention to her. And I think Jeff Krasno from Commune, where I did that 12-step course, mentioned her. Did you like the podcast, Jen? Yeah. Did it cause you to reflect on your time back in Mullumbimby? Oh, yeah. I did like one of the coffee shops, though. Which one? Don't look down all forlorn at <laughs> the mention of a coffee shop. It had a lizard in it. It's not an it. orphanage. There was a lizard that in it. That one that had the, the outdoor space yeah, on the corner there in Mullumbimby. If you find yourself in Mullumbimby, <laughs> you want to go to that co- coffee on the, that coffee place on the corner because, uh, yeah, it was like an iguana thing, wasn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: Apparently it doesn't get on with someone who works there. So. What do you mean? A particular individual? Yeah. <laughs> I got on the right of it. I took my two kids <laughs> there. We had a good look at it. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. It's like the size of a like it's yeah, like it's a huge. dog. dog-sized lizard a little dog a yorkie but nonetheless (laughs) pretty impressive uh so i've told you now she's an advocate is kate nelson for uh, plastic minimalization i'm interested in plastic plastic minimization she's lived without single-use plastics for 10 years and been plastic free since 2016 she teaches lifestyle through diy youtube tutorials offers coaching to support people she's got a non-profit she's a a damn good egg, is what I would say. I know it was fascinating to talk to her. I'm trying to... It's very difficult to wrench yourself away from the use of plastics. You'll discover that. Have you discovered it, Jen, or are you not even trying to live without plastic? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You've got your metal straw, haven't you, mate? Yeah, i got my metal straw, but I am drinking with my metal straw from a plastic lid. Yeah, I saw, actually, I thought I saw you take a big oh, yeah. swig of something and I plastic. I Lucas's point. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <it's a> <laughs> I was thirsty on the way here. Boy, what'd you do? Pull over at a garage to buy yeah. gas-guzzling fuel, you fascist! <laughs> Let's have a listen to some comment from the excellent episode with Satish Kumar, who I would call a world teacher. Tommy Agresti, amazing, great perspective. Ellen, hi Russell and team. I listen to all your podcasts religiously, and this conversation with Satish Kumar is by far among my favourites. What a beautiful and enlightened human being he is, full of so much wisdom and optimism. I feel much more optimistic having listened to your conversation. Thank you, at Russell Brand, for the opportunity to hear this and your, or hear his and your thoughts and words. If you haven't listened to the Satish Kumar episode of Under the Skin on Luminary yet, you should go back and listen to it. He's like a person that's been there. He's spoken to some of the great minds of the previous generation. And this man who's, I guess he's in his 80s now, would you say? He's 84 and he's so optimistic and upbeat, powerful and potent, emanating great wisdom. And for me, what I liked is that, in a sense, everything has to come from a kind of awareness. Why is it we shouldn't use plastic? Why is it we shouldn't become spellbound and hypnotised by social media? Why be kind and loving to one another? He seems to have found the access point, the fulcrum within himself. And he also has that wonderful quality of being able to make it clear to other people too. Great teacher, a lovely episode. Morag Gamble. What a name. What a person. Thanks at Rusty Rockets and at Resurgence Mag. I consider Satish to be one of the most important teachers in my life, alongside Helena Norberg-Hodge, who we talk about in this episode you're going to listen to in a minute. Frit Joff Capra. Oh, who's Frit Joff Capra? We'll investigate Frit Joff Capra. And others, He invited me to Schumacher College back in the early 90s. Thanks to you for bringing so much positive change. All right, so there you go. Now, I'm going to promote myself at you just in case you've never heard this before. Go to russellbrand.com, Sign up to my mailing list because then you'll get these really lovely emails where sometimes I advertise these online events. We only really advertise them through the mailing list and we're going to do, um, COVID permitting, some live events soon. I'm going to be doing some shows in in London, Oxford and Reading, all these places are in the south of England. If you're around, if you're in the south of England, come to one of these socially distanced responsible I'm calling them COVID extravaganzas. The name of the show is Brandemic. I've done it a couple of times. It's pretty funny. You'll enjoy it. So uh, if you want to get tickets to that show, come to russellbrand.com. Sign up to the mailing list at russellbrand.com to get all sorts of information. Remember to look at my YouTube channel and all for stuff uh, like, you know, little videos that I do and follow me on the social media platforms you use. But also put that thing on your phone that restricts you to a certain amount of time each day. You can put something on your phone that will tell you, you've done your half hour now. You're a little addict. You don't know what you're doing, do you? You've got obsessed with it. You know, don't just unconsciously use social media. Those days are gone. Anyway, let's get into uh, Kate Nelson, the plastic-free mermaid. I hope you enjoy it. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a no, successful yeah, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. Doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. All right, Kate Nelson, thanks for coming on Under the Skin.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Russell.
0: Why are you living in Byron Bay when you're from Minnesota?
1: Well, uh, Minnesota is land of 10,000 lakes. So um, I grew up perhaps as a freshwater mermaid, but once I discovered the ocean, I was just Blown away and uh, really taken by the mysteries and wonders of the sea. And Byron Bay has incredible marine life, uh, incredible surf and freediving. And yeah, I just I really enjoy the marine ecosystem over here.
0: What's the whole mermaid thing about? Because you are known as the plastic free mermaid. You know, so what's going on, Kate?
1: <sighs> well, Russell, I have been living at sea and, you know, the mermaids the mer people have discovered we just keep seeing all this plastic floating out here and just kind of disrupting our beautiful majestic way of life and so I was voted to come to land to investigate what this material is why this plastic why humans are so obsessed with this plastic and I wasn't I'm not allowed to go back until I figure out what the deal is and, and try and reduce the amount of plastic that's going out to the ocean so
0: I like that idea are you mentally ill
1: <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i just love i 'm a free diver i 'm a surfer, I just love the ocean so i 'm a mermaid i 'm a water woman and i 'm um, wow. plastic free I i won 't use plastics i 've got a hard boundary so
0: that's so fantastic i 'm gonna 'm scanning your the background of the shot because obviously we are uh, talking via a video service, and yes i can 't see anything plastic now recently uh, me and my family we've been trying to detoxify ourselves, let go of our plastic addiction, it's not actually very easy, is it? Because like even things like celery and spinach and things that are healthy to eat come wrapped up in plastic. What the hell are we supposed to do?
1: Well, celery is actually quite easy to grow just from the butt of celery. You just put it in water and it'll sprout.
0: Okay. So it starts off with, oh, I'm a mermaid. I've come to land. Don't use plastic. And before you know it, I'm having to plant celery.
1: Yeah, just... Keep those little celery butts. Just put them in a bit of water. Just watch them grow. to be a What's great in that one? experiment for the kids. <laughs> what?
0: What's in that glass of water there?
1: This is uh, a beverage. This is drinking water.
0: It looks rather murky, if you don't mind my saying, Kate.
1: No, maybe it's just your screen is dirty.
0: Maybe the lens. Maybe it's, yes, it's something that I project onto reality. So it sort of starts off as a sort of a rejection of plastic. But in the end, you have to become more conscientious and aware, start growing your own food. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, essentially, uh, when I first quit plastics, it was almost, yeah, over 10 years ago. So it just, uh, I basically kind of bumped up into my own ethics where um, I felt, you know, I learned that plastic doesn't biodegrade. And I realized that, yeah, I value the ocean. I value water. I value air. I value earth. I value soil so much more than uh, the convenience that plastic offers. And so it was just easy for me to say, well, I don't need to use these items that um, are given to me, you know, um, on a daily basis, cups, bottles, silverware, these things that's not necessary for me. I can bring my own or go without. Uh, So it's just been very experimental and fun. Um, I make a lot of my own products. um, I've, I've learned to grow food. Um, I'm not you know I wasn't naturally domestic so making food like crackers and and uh, desserts and milks and things like that plant milks um, was hilarious as I taught myself these things and how to integrate them into a busy lifestyle so yeah it's been a journey but it's been so much fun and I think that's where um, me teaching that lifestyle uh, is entertaining for for folks to learn from me.
0: Yeah, I've watched some of your videos. Me and my wife watch them and, yeah, you're brilliant. Um, but convenience, in a way, equates to um, time, doesn't it? Like, so your entire attitude and approach to life has to alter. I've noticed this in a lot of areas of my life. For example, I don't know, giving up drugs. You think you're just giving up drugs, but really what you're doing is giving up the person that takes drugs and and the sort of the um, exponential changes and the unanticipated changes that are required uh, often essentially amount to a totally different way of life. Have Have you found it the same with plastic?
1: Well, I don't know if I would, I think equating it to drugs is an interesting metaphor. I think that we're not necessarily individually addicted to plastics, but as a culture, we're so pushed that it's really hard for us to avoid it. Um, which becomes somewhat of a social justice issue because so many people don't have any other options except for all this plastic packaged food. Um, I think that when, if you have the privilege or the resources to say, look, I quit plastics, I don't want this anymore, I don't want this in my life, it is actually poison, it is toxic for the environment, but also for our bodies. Um, Once we make that decision, yeah, it's it's that's kind of the micro that's the micro decision where I'm like, I don't want to use this plastic anymore, but the, the macro, or that becomes a catalyst for an entirely different way of life. Like you said, you see things more clearly, you have more space, you have more time, you're more present for your relationships. You have to do things differently. Uh, and I think that's kind of a reckoning that, that we're all kind of feeling in COVID is that we're, we're not able to travel. We're not able to do as much and we're really being forced to slow down and, um, Be more present in our local communities and um, grow food and really try these things that maybe we always thought we wanted to do or we'd do when we were retired, but now we're like, all right, I can't leave. May as well learn how to grow celery.
0: Yeah, well, particularly as it's so simple. You just said put a butt in a glass of water. I mean, that, even with my horticultural limitations, I can manage. Um, This transition, Kate, this becoming more aware, in a way, there's a Obviously, stuff we can do as individuals, you know, even though when you make a decision like, I want to go plastic-free, you notice how immersive it is. It means you've got to change your bathroom products. It's, you've got to change your, the way you eat food. It's You become aware that recycling is more of a gesture than anything else if it's not, you know, what's happening. Really, what you want to stop is production. So, in a sense, do, have you... Firstly, I suppose I'd like to know some. if you've got any terrifying statistics about plastic, you could hit us with those. And then secondly, do you have a vision for how on a sort of macro level we could change our use of plastic, by which I mean beyond the individual, culturally and socially, what kind of legislation would be required to meaningfully alter the ecological uh, impact?
1: Yeah, I'll start with that. Um, I think that individually if we can, if we have the resources and privilege, it is uh, a moral responsibility that we take action. Um, we know we shouldn't have, we no longer have the luxury. We're watching our, our planet change. We're watching um, society and, and people, humanity, um, struggle and suffer. Uh, and so, and we're watching marine life and, and birds and, and all sorts of creatures suffering at the hands of our plastic and our pollution, um, as well as many other, uh, consequences of our overconsumption and and extreme population Uh, so knowing all of that having that information we should feel a moral obligation to make better choices um such as uh eating more fruits and vegetables and then we're like oh this is also more beneficial to my health great it's a win-win so maybe the framing um i'm in communications right i'm trying to like push this message so i i'm trying to think of the different things that that uh are motivating to people to actually sus- to make these behavior changes and then to actually sustain them. Um, and oftentimes, yeah, the pollution might be one that shock, fear, horror, um, and it might get people's attention, but it's not going to necessarily sustain behavior change. Uh, so I talk a lot about the science about how plastic actually negative impacts our health, which I'd love to get into later. Um, and that seems to have a more lasting impact on people when they say, you know, actually, I I don't want plastic in my house. I don't want my kids touching it. I don't want it even in my, my bathroom. Um, and then people are more interested in purchasing plastic-free products, uh, you know, making their own, storing things in glass, um, making their own plant milk so that it's not in this plastic container. Uh, and so it's just kind of finding the why to motivate individuals to behavior change, which is like fascinating to me. I love I love that. Um, but then also, yeah, we need policy change. Um, the UK uh, banned plastics um, from April of this year. I don't know if you've noticed any changes, plastic straws and stir. Well, I suppose people haven't been out and about and you've been in Mullumbimby, so.
0: I have noticed. It's, it's a pain in the ass.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you just tell that to the whales and dolphins. All right, Russell?
0: <laughs> You're right. I mean, yeah, okay. So there, is, there are things happening at a legislative level yeah. do you hear like a lot of possibly i suppose right wing stuff around recycling and legislative change of this nature where they say well it's not actually made any difference and to produce the kind of paper straws or whatever it's actually causing more ecological do you hear what do you do when you hear that sort of stuff
1: agreed agreed we don't anything single use is is waste. It, it's just unnecessary. Um, it's what we need to do is just reform the way we consume um, single use packaging, regardless of its, I mean, single use plastic packaging that's based on petroleum or oil uh, is really bad because it will take a thousand years to break down. We're not even sure how long it's going to take to break down and the way huh. the, the amount that we consume on a daily basis. Like I think, um, what's a shocking statistic I can share with you, like a, a million plastic bottles are sold every minute. So we're just the amount that we're consuming is for with a material that's never going to break down, or it's going to you know your children's 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 are still going to be seeing this bottle on this planet. I mean that's just so ridiculous. No one would in their right mind agree to that sort of um, that kind of decision, uh, or that manufacturing or using that kind of material. Plastic is supposed to be durable for um, you know, weather-resistant uh, you know, machinery or equipment. Yeah, great use of that material, but for single-use items, it just makes no sense. And when we think about, oh, let's just quickly replace it with paper or, uh, or bioplastics, It's replacing something that's already bad because it's single use. It's too wasteful. You use something for five minutes and then you just throw it away. Where is a way that's somewhere that exists on our planet. It's probably Um, someone's village or Island or or backyard. Um, So it's just the concept of single use or throwaway or disposable culture that needs to be replaced with reusables, Uh, dining in again, this kind of slowing down. Why are we in such a rush? Why are we in such a hurry? And I know that'll trigger people because people will be like, I am, and you have a lot to do. <laughs> and I, and I, I can relate to that as well. I'm in a rush, I'm in a hurry, I've got a lot to do. Um, but it's, it's, it's finding what we value and it's uh, reconnecting to some sort of ethics so that we uh, have, have a strong enough why to make these decisions in the moments that count.
0: Two things that occur to me, Kate, when you're talking is that one, it requires a kind of quite significant shift of consciousness a significant shift in the way that we live life. By by shift of consciousness, I mean becoming aware of plastic and the consequences of plastic, and that we are valuing convenience over durability, which for me is a kind of a disconnection. There's a sort of a spiritual disconnection from our environment. That we see ourselves as atomized individuals, and we're we're um detached from the consequences of our actions and the consequences of our lifestyle. This is evident in other areas. There's also, I feel like, a kind of almost futility in trying to address a problem of such scale, I feel. And although, of course, w- with matters like this, a transition can occur kind of instantaneously. When I think about what a truly radical political movement might look like, I suppose it would say it would ban the use of single use plastic at, Entirely, and it would. It's. uh, I suppose that it would be that you wouldn't be able to make plastic bottles for beverages anymore. That would be banned overnight. And then, of course, the sort of lobbies and interests behind that would say, "Well, that's you know, it's going to impinge on our profits. We'll have to pass those costs on to the consumer. The people that are going to be most punished, the people that earn less. So now you're into like socio-economic." issues in the way that society is structured and who is penalized for this kind of convenience and who really which is already happening oh really
1: absolutely i mean think about what our our access to farmers markets and i'm assuming and um
0: farmers <laughs> market yeah yeah i got access to them i went to one in Malumbimbi, a really good one actually
1: yeah a beautiful market in Malumbimbi. i'm glad you went Um, and, but so many people live in food deserts and they only have the, like already they're, they're having to absorb, um, you know, the, the, I mean, we have access to so much fresh food, organic food. We have so many options. We can buy bulk, we can buy, um, things that are plastic free, but many people, don't have these options at all. They're, they're in a food desert. They can only get plastic wrapped food. They can only get canned food. They can only get plastic um, wrapped vegetables that aren't even in season or grown in this area. They can rarely even get fresh food. So this is already a problem. Many places in in Southeast Asia or Africa, they used to have these bulk corner stores in their villages where they would go and get, you know, fill up on soy sauce and bring it home. Now it's all sachets, these little tiny plastic sachets that are mixed material, plastic, metal, more plastic, that would never be separated and recycled. Like you said, we know that recycling is a myth. Less than 9% of every, any plastic that's ever existed has even been recycled, and I think that's high. I highly doubt that's been recycled, and I think even recycling is a misnomer. We need, you know, it's, it, every, plastic can't be recycled. It gets downcycled, sure, but it's not being recycled into something of equal value. Um, so this is absolutely a social justice issue where we're not, we're not just um, fighting for the environment here. We're not just fighting for the whales and the dolphins, um, the mermaids, but we are trying to empower um, our local communities and support these, these places, especially in Southeast Asia where we've been shipping our trash. The West has just been, you know, putting our trash to China and then China said, no more, we don't want your trash anymore. And then we had nowhere to go and the global waste market was in crisis. And uh, so then we were trying to find anywhere to dump it. And we found in the Indonesia and Thailand and Malaysia. And then they were like, no, we don't want it either. Because they could barely maintain their own waste on these, these uh, island nations. Um, and then they get blamed. They, you know, uh, The plastic lobbyists in the US, for example, when they're trying to counter plastic ban legislation, they say, no, no, this isn't, this isn't us. This is Asia's problem. But when Asia, it's, it's all of our trash that's leaking from these island nations. Um, so is this a, a class issue already? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And when we are talking about it, even when, when we talk about it, Kate, when we talk about farmers markets and glass jars, all those things have such sort of bourgeois connotations, you know. Oh, yeah, you're going to the farmer's market with your glass jar. It's all right for you, like right? um. You know, there's so much sort of cultural and social tension now. There's such disparity, and the very kind of people I would say, like sort of blue-collar and working-class backgrounds, which, as a caveat, I'll mention because it seems to be necessary, is the background that I am from, so that these are the people that it's very hard to reach with that kind of messaging precisely because they've got sort of economic uh, and social challenges that are different, difficult to meet. And in fact, the way that many of these arguments are presented are ki- is kind of alienating. And it seems that there's this sort of gridlock of the The interests of the powerful and the interests of the most vulnerable with this, the issue of plastic being a good example, Uh, the powerful companies that profit from single use plastic and from uh, these type of practices and the necessity for cheap goods for people at the bottom of the social uh, ladder, you know, in any particular nation. So you can see that even an issue as seemingly as... I know it's not niche in terms of its consequences, but at least it is an issue. It's not like we're not talking about gender equality, racial equality, or, you know, we're talking about plastic. Even this has sort of massive connotations about the way that society is organised.
1: Absolutely. And, and so many things like, and is it up to the bourgeois because they have the resources? Is it going to be quick enough for them to level the play, playing field so that the more vulnerable finally have access to these things like farmers markets um, and bulk food? Is it, is it the, are the bourgeois, are these farmers markets of Bimbi going to make it, you know, create more demand and thus lower the price so that it's more accessible in time? Who knows? Hopefully, I mean, that's I'm banking on it. And also, yeah, you're right, the, the globalization, the trade, you know, it, we, the, the more vulnerable communities haven't been vulnerable for that long. It's only recently since we've opened up trade, trade laws and, um, and we ship and export and import all of this food all over the world instead of just supporting our local farmers and growers. That used to be just normal. Um, and now it's like this bourgeois thing to go to a farmer's market with your glass jar and your straw basket. That is absurd, but that is the, the upper class thing to do when that was just like the normal way of life. And it's right. because we, we send our apples all around the world and the, those apples, exported and imported apples, or, are, are cheaper. That's the cheaper food than just the local organic food. Um, and that's, that's what really needs to change. Like, How can we make the local food more accessible and cheaper um, and support the local farmers and local growers?
0: I guess these practices have got to be banned, huh?
1: What's that?
0: You've got to ban these practices. You've got to ban sort of uh, mono agriculture. You've got to ban the manufacture of plastic. And you're not going to be able how to do, do that. How do you
1: ban that stuff when the corporations are so massive and so well resourced?
0: Listen, you're a plastic free mermaid. Don't ask me. Look at me. I'm a guy in a neckerchief. Oh, like, come on, I like- Russell.
1: Get that neckerchief and start waving it about. They'll look at you.
0: I think it's this idea. You you must know Helena Norber-Codge over there, right? Because she's... Love Helena.
1: I'm in a beautiful women's gathering group with her right now discussing local food movement. Bourgeois! Yeah. Oh, women's circles. We've been doing this for centuries.
0: No, it's beautiful. Um, in fact, my wife participated in sort of, I know it's, I know it's a very conscious and awakened community around uh, sort of, I don't know, women's politics and f- female identity and stuff like that over there. My wife and our friend Tilly went, went to stuff like that over there. And I'm friends with Helena Norberg-Hodge, and I think she's a great teacher on the subject of uh, local economies and in fact these are gosh in a way say so these ideas have been around forever these are the ideas that are closest to our anthropological origin it's only at the point where you start to try to centralize resources in order to generate more product uh, more profit and to create hierarchies that you break away from uh, uh, grow food for the community that's there eliminate the travel ex- ex- except that you can't have Fucking strawberries in the middle of December, or vice versa, when you're in your country. You know, eat seasonal food. All it's all sort of these things are good for you anyway. Eliminate things that enhance the growth of the crops, and recognize that with a, an awakened global community, in the in, in the event of food shortages, we will be able to sh- uh, share and redistribute food when required. But what you're say, what you said a minute ago, Kate, plastic-free mermaid, Nelson. Like that, um, like to do to achieve that, you've got to challenge corporations. I feel like what kind of issues are a significant number of people going to rally around? If you look at what's going on in America at the moment, most people are, you know, disenchanted with Donald Trump. Most people aren't that excited about Joe Biden. Like, it seems like there's a there are, and most people are starting to believe in pretty wacky things at the moment. You know, the QAnon stuff and all of that. I mean, people are getting like I feel there's this appetite for change appetite for a genuine alternative i wonder if it's possible to build a global constituency around these issues around local economies local government around like a system of principles that we can all adhere to where possible that include ecological respect individual respect the right to form individual communities but certain things that cannot be transgressed it seems paramount among this is the dismantling of these powerful economic interests that have um destroying the planet as part of the business model
1: yeah beautifully said and do you think in in trying to because this is something that we're discussing in our little in our beautiful amazing women's group
0: well done yeah uh
1: with helena legend um In trying to inspire communities and people to reconnect to their local, instead of being so global, um, uh, people are repelled by that they're triggered. They don't want to minimize their convenience. They want to have strawberries year round. Um, I'm interested in behavior change. So I'm asking this genuinely, how do you, how would you uh, persuade someone to um, not to only eat strawberries in season, um, you know these foods that are shipped all around. They they have to be packaged in plastic to maintain um, their ripeness or their quality. How do you how do you say to someone, no, 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 give up all of this convenience, give up all of this comfort and just focus on your local community? Because I believe in that strongly. I think that's the most important thing. It's the the place where you live, where you're where you're contributing, where, you know, the Mullen farmers market where you run into people. It's beautiful. But I'm curious what your opinion is. How do you convince someone?
0: What is nationalism really rather than other than a re-rooted impulse to connect with your land and your tribe a fictional narrative to aggregate people into great conglomerations of 50 60 20 million people belonging. If we can, in a sense, reattribute this sense of belonging to uh, an appropriately sized community, an appropriate piece of land, I think that's an interesting way to go, to help people to recognise that we're living in a kind of darkness and that we have lost our autonomy and freedom. This thing you said about changing behaviour, it's it's interesting you said that because I've become, as I'm sure many people have recently, fascinated with the impact of tech giants and social media Platforms, but precisely on our behaviour. It's about their expertise in behaviouralism is the dominant ideology that motivates uh, their, um, or at least affords them the the means to make profit. Um, As like that, Jaron Lanier says, what's being sold by Facebook and Google is the ability to um, manipulate your attention and behavior. With technology, of course, is not inherently bad. It's, of course it isn't, nothing is inherently. Plastic is not
1: inherently bad.
0: Right, It's 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 the same, in a sense, there's the same template argument, isn't it, Kate? So I suppose in a way, unless we unless we can impact the profit incentives of the these powerful conglomerates and that can only happen like you know my friend Adam Curtis always says politicians actually do have power you can you know we always thought I oh, know politicians just exist at the um, you know to serve powerful economic interests but when coronavirus comes it turns out you can get people to stay in their houses you can ground air travel you know so i suppose what needs to happen is a kind of evolution of the post 2008 Political parties such as Syriza, Podemos. That I'm talking about these sort of Mediterranean and European parties that came about as a response to the crash itself, as a result of globalization and the inability to persecute the financial interests that ran riot up until that point in Wall Street and the City of London, etc. If we can create a kind of a global confederacy. That have that align on certain objectives. It seems to me the important thing, and I spoke to Satish Kumar about this the other week, is to once to align people that are interested in social justice, and I mean at the kind of um, university campus level, to align them with the interests of working people who are currently being lost to sort of retro nationalism if we can align their interests if we can make people see if that whatever you're what you're all of us really want is power and authority in our own lives the ability to run our own communities and if we want to what what mate sovereignty
1: Mm. is that what you said yes
0: that's what we're after aren't we
1: i think people i think i think you're right i think um capitalism has pushed us so far into this individualism Uh, and our screens and technology are further supporting that, um, pulling away from community, pulling away from tribe, pulling away from nature, pulling away from land, pulling away from growing our own food and just being sucked into, um, this, you know, abyss of entertainment and stimuli and distraction and just mindless, um, yeah, distraction. Is, is the best word, and, and like you said, they're just mining our data and um, and and using our attention for profit. Um, so pulling us away. I think that you're right. I think people feel this despair um, because of all of this chaos around us, which we've created. We've we've created the climate warming. We've created so much of this, um, you know, just kind of uh, distress environmental, social. Uh, and we feel that emptiness inside us because we don't feel connected to community anymore. We're, we're individuals and we're alone and we're just with our technology. That's all. Our communities are in our technology as well. And it's been further exacerbated by by COVID. And if we can create more community, um, if we can create more belonging and places for people to feel connected in earth and where people feel you know even just getting their hands dirty and are actually in their local community um gardening growing food together supporting each other supporting you know there's such a a, a distrust of other humans and a distrust of of community and um i think there's there's so much that we can learn also, as we come back to land and as we try and figure out how to reconnect to nature as a, as a global society, but also as these individual humans within these small ecosystems which are our communities, learning from the indigenous people and how you know they've been doing this forever and have been so oppressed and, and how can we Lift them up and, and understand more of how to look after land and and community and relationships and um, and ourselves.
0: That was a lovely speech, if you don't mind my saying. Tell us a bit more about your um, aquatic lifestyle and how it informs where you are. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, well, I, I love surfing. I love freediving. I swam with whales on the weekend.
0: No way. What do you mean, last weekend?
1: Yeah, just the past weekend. They're, they're migrating south. The humpbacks are migrating south.
0: How close can you get to them?
1: Oh, you don't want to get too close. I mean, you, you can jump in the water, and if they swim past you, if they're curious and they come up to you, then it's magical, but you wouldn't, you're not trying to, you know... Uh, be aggressive or or jump on them or scare you can get hurt I mean they're covered in barnacles and they're massive so you want to keep your distance
0: Uh, how close have you been
1: oh they're they actually you know they are quite curious I mean unless they're really trying to get south I've been quite close
0: what, in Byron Bay you've been up in arm's length of a whale I think I'd freak out I mean I love whales of course but I think I would freak out I think I'd freak out confronting a monster in the deep because of the psychological connotations suspended in that dreamlike space
1: maybe that's a healthy fear um the, you know the po- it's just exciting we have so many whales that their populations were around 500 in the 60s or 70s and now we have 35,000 Uh, So conservation works, activism works. Um, And yeah, it's just really, they're amazing. You can be out surfing and you'll have a whale come by and you can just dive underwater and you hear them singing. It's really vibrant.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it sounds pretty powerful, but also a little bit scary. This is all happening in Byron Bay, is it?
1: Um, Just all along the East coast of Australia. Yeah. I mean, all over the world, the whales are migrating. Everyone should explore their local environment. There's magic to be found wherever you live. (laughs) <laughs> but Not i in i, I the, the <laughs> <laughs> Helena you know you have Helen in my ear telling me local um mm. no, but the mer- the mermaid character is is fun and playful, you know the with the the statistics around plastic um you know a, a garbage truck of plastic is entering the ocean every minute, like that's the amount of trash we're dumping, and so this this subject matter um is is a bit depressing, and so i have been showing up as a mermaid to inspire and, you know, bring some solutions and some sparkly magic to uh, a situation that could otherwise be quite depressing. You know, there's heaps of pictures out there of turtles wrapped up in plastic and whales washing up on beaches and nobody wants to see that anymore. You know, you've seen that once you get it. Um, now people just want the solutions. So I've, yeah. I've been... Yeah, Even 10 years ago when I first started, we would, we would go to city council meetings dressed as mermaids, shell bras and all, and it was quite effective. We, got to, we banned single-use plastics in Santa Barbara, so that was really exciting when I went to college. So anyway. you, think,
0: you think that the mermaid angle is effective? I do. Because it makes it sort of a little more fun and approachable and accessible and gets children interested in it and that kind of thing.
1: I mean, I think... People are more open to changing something so uh, um, ubiquitous or, or, or you know, something that they're not thinking, they're oblivious to, and you tell them that they have to switch plastics and start bringing a water bottle and start making their own plant milk. I mean, that seems like a massive change. But if you're a little bit playful and you're fun and, and they're laughing, then they're more open, their heart is more open to discussing these changes. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm kind of an ambassador for a lifestyle that maybe would seem granola or would seem like really unattainable. And I try to just make it really accessible and fun because it is it's it's easy. It's beautiful.
0: You meditate a lot.
1: Yeah, I, I do yoga every day.
0: When? What? When you first get up? Yeah. For an hour?
1: Mm, depends. Depends on what I'm up to. Depends on it, the sunshine. Depends on the the kitties, the cats. <laughs> uh, if <they> interrupt me.
0: <laughs> well, and then you do what twenty to half twenty minutes or half an hour of meditation.
1: Um, shorter. I'd probably do five or ten, and then I do my breath work, free diving breathwork.
0: What is what is what do you have to do? Uh uh-huh. huh. So what do you have to do to increase your capacity to breathe underwater?
1: Um. I, I just like to sit quietly. So after I've, I've done my yoga practice, and I've cleansed my body, then I find it far more, um, far easier to, to have a clear mind and just sit quietly and, and clear my mind of thoughts. And um, once I feel calm, and, and my mind is clear, that's when I start to lengthen my inhales and lengthen my exhales, and then lengthen my inhales and then holds full of breath. And then Lengthen my exhales and hold Empty of breath and then I continue That practice for it's long Five minutes Ten minutes
0: Do you do any Wim Hof to uh, increase Your ability to just, uh, Hold your breath underwater
1: um, I don't do Wim Hof uh, No I don't do Wim Hof do you
0: Yeah I do actually and as a matter of fact This is basically I'm asking all of these questions So that I can make this statement I held my breath for four minutes That's it that's the whole thing I'm heading for. Yeah, four minutes. Does that make me a merman? Yeah, you could
1: go underwater and swim with the humpbacks.
0: I had to do seven rounds of Wim Hof before I got to the four minutes. And I must say, for the last 30 seconds to a minute, I was a bit frantic. I don't think I'd have done well if a humpback whale had hoved into view at that point. I, I may have panicked. But the fact is, is that I it's went from It's all
1: psychological.
0: My... Yeah. Well, Well, holding your
1: breath. I mean, you you get these physiological responses where you want to take a breath and you have to overcome that because you don't necessarily you don't need oxygen, but your body is wanting it. And so it's just it's just staying calm and overcoming those those impulses.
0: You can see how it helps you to detach from your individual egoic identity because it's like that impulse. I want breath. I want breath. But always wanting. I want chocolate. I want sex. I want power. I want everyone to like me. Yeah. I want plastic something. wrapped
1: candy. I want plastic wrapped that. Like...
0: Get my celery in some plastic. Get it shipped across the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're we're so used to this instant gratification, and we're spoiled, and we're so comfortable. It's gross.
0: Or we're not. We're so, or we're so uncomfortable that you just think I can't be bothered to worry about bloody celery and Kinder eggs. I just got to try and get through the next half hour. Um. So, you do. You, I've got a few things I want to ask you about. One, have you seen that My Octopus Teacher? Seems like the sort of thing you'd be into. So lovely, that documentary, that bloke, Craig Foster, swimming around down there with that thing.
1: Really beautiful, yeah. Octopus are one of my favorite um, creatures. And so- what do you
0: mean? Have you struck up a friendship with one?
1: Huh?
0: Have you ever struck up a friendship with an octopus, a dolphin, one of the subaquatic creatures?
1: um we have a little turtle reef where I live and there are a few turtles that I like to visit regularly so yes
0: I'd like to do that I've only done a little bit of like snorkeling and I once went scuba diving when I was young and I'll tell you what it was pretty amazing I tripped out is a parallel reality a dreamlike world and i think that it must put you in contact with an aspect of your nature that you obviously otherwise wouldn't access that i think is uh, analogous to the unco- or subconscious mind certainly must make you feel more whole it must make you feel more whole to have relationships and awareness under the water
1: absolutely i think it's not just a connection to self more but just being like it's humbling it's um, so special to just be quiet, to not have the busy, the noise, to just be quiet underwater and to hear the clicking of the underwater world and to just be to, you know, the stiller you are, the calmer you are, the more peaceful you are, the more that they forget you're even there and the more that you actually get to witness. Mm. Um, and feel so much more part of something greater than when we're out in the world. It's so distracting and there's so much, and it's familiar. Whereas when we're underwater, it's this complete. it's like outer space. It's so um, surreal to witness all these bizarre things happening uh, that it really does make me realize how small I am and how incredible and and vast this planet is and how magical and, and how, important biodiversity is and how, uh, you know, interconnected all of these ecosystems are and how our our impact, however small we are, really does matter and is felt the world over.
0: Yeah, it seems like a very beautiful realization. I feel... We've many of us are estranged from nature; that our awareness is being managed, manipulated, and mined, and focused on such a, a narrow strata of stimuli that. That we're essentially are li- we are living in an illusion, as m- many mystical traditions have insisted. If your consciousness is continually focused on a limited number of needs and requirements and fears is l- you are living in a constructed bubble. And I suppose when you have a relationship with the organic world or the natural world, you are confronted with different stimuli, different reality.
1: Yeah, and you're more connected to the cycles and the rhythms of Earth, and you know when to plant vegetables, and you know when to harvest vegetables, and you can feed yourself, and you can sustain yourself, hence learning from Indigenous and remembering our own nature.
0: What's the, What do you do on your Mercast then, your podcast called Mercast.
1: Yeah, I started that because I didn't understand climate change well enough, and I didn't know how to... Um, discuss uh, the solutions and I didn't know how to um, advocate for regenerative agriculture or renewable energy. So I started that to interview experts. I figured if I didn't understand it, other people wouldn't either. Um, So I just started recording uh, conversations with amazing humans that were working on the solutions. And now I've been interviewing um, a lot of my plastic experts as well.
0: And that's called Mercast, if we want to listen to it. That's right. I see you're using this prefix mer quite a lot. You've also got a, a mer school.
1: Yes, I do. And mermaid retreats. So the pretty fun adventures.
0: What happens at a mermaid retreat and are they open to everybody?
1: Well, yes, they used to be just for women, but now they're open to all genders, all mer folk. Um, it's basically I take people on these amazing ocean adventures uh, swimming with whales and whale sharks and dolphins and sailing around uh, to, it's kind of like a vehicle for nurturing our connection with nature, um, nurturing our, our connection with our own purpose on this planet um, and nurturing our connection with our intuition. So finding like how, how, where, how do we navigate earth and what are our, where's, where do we get guidance from within uh, so yeah, they're really they're really magical. <laughs> my favourite.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a, a lovely thing to do a mer, a mer retreat or a mermaid retreat or a mer folk retreat. Yeah. But to do this, you've got to come to Byron Bay, and no one's yeah. going. No. We
1: we sail around Fiji. We swim oh off God. the coast of Hawaii. Um, we swim off the coast of Western Australia. There's there's mer adventures to be had in wonderful locations around the planet.
0: What are you doing with your non-profit organisation, Kate? Plastic Free Mermaid Secret. Nelson. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Save the Mermaids was a beautiful project. I started with my best friends about 10 years ago. So when I first discovered that plastic doesn't biodegrade, uh, I was just re- yeah really upset. And so gathered at my friends and we started Save the Mermaids. And that's when we would dress as mermaids and go to city council and just present. We had all the science. So um, Dr. Andrea Neal, who I learned that plastic doesn't biodegrade from at Jean-Michel Cousteau's Ocean Future Society, nonprofit in Santa Barbara. Um, She had tons of research. uh, And so we would take that to city council and um, present in our mermaid gear. Um, And yeah, we were quite effective and we were present at schools and businesses and just continue to educate our community. Um, And yeah, one of my best friends, Kaya, she still leads that and she takes kids on ocean adventures, continuing the ocean education and advocacy.
0: Yeah, I see. So what you've done is you've always had a passion for the ocean and a very intuitive connection with it, but and you have come to realize that that your passion intersects with a global problem of pollution and ecological decay, and specifically because of our negligent, unaware attitudes to the use of plastic. And now, in a rather fun and humorous way, you've created uh, a, a tools for education and a narrative that's approachable and attractive you wrote a book and all is that right yep
1: i quit plastics and you can too
0: (laughs) look at that you just produced it i saw you looking under your desk a minute ago was that one of your cats or were you just studying oh yeah i have
1: a cat that's been climbing on things yeah
0: during this entire conversation yes (laughs) <laughs> that's been going on i've had dogs roaming in and out i've eaten a bowl of porridge i've learned a lot about conscientious plastic i've realized i might start identifying as a mer person going on mer retreats the second i'm able to leap on a gas guzzling sky vehicle of some description Mm. Yeah, it's a
1: tricky one, isn't it? The so transportation, we're burning fossil fuels, plastic is made from fossil fuels, you know, about 4% of the world's fossil fuels are used to make plastics. Uh, so, you know, in as we're trying to weigh up all of these different choices that we can make to be better humans, um, you know, which one do we do? What is better is eating vegan, even if it's wrapped in plastic better than eating something that's local or eating a vegetable that's not packaged, but it's been shipped all around the world and has incredible food miles and has burned so many, so much fuel to get there. You know, we are overwhelmed even with these, these ethical choices that we were faced with on a daily basis once we become aware or more conscious. Uh, And even that can be overwhelming and cause burnout. So it's just comes back to having a really great self-love routine.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's at the origin of it. Individual awakening and where individual awakening meets a cause that we can uh, come together and uh, 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 approach in a kind of unison. Kate, thank you so much for making time for us on Under the Skin today. Um, Please, next time you give Helena Norberg Hodge, please give her my love. Next time you're swimming next to a barnacle smothered whale, be sure and give it my regards. And I really hope that I get to meet with you soon and learn more about your uh, wonderful approach to ecological awareness.
1: Mm, Thank you so much, Russell, for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: It's been brilliant to talk to you, Kate. You really convey your message beautifully. Thanks for listening to Under the Skin with me and Kate Nelson. Let me know what you thought of it on Instagram at Russell Brand there or, uh, you know, Twitter if you want. And sign up to the mailing list to get information about these live shows that I'm doing and online events that I'm doing. And also I'll answer your questions. If you've got an email for me, you can email at help at russellbrand.com. And volunteers, kindly volunteers, will direct you to resources where possible and will most importantly let you know that you are not alone in this Balmy, berserk world. I hope you enjoyed that uh, chat with Kate Nelson. If you did, have a listen back to Gal Bradbrook. What was she? Gal, Gal Bradbrook. Extinction Rebellion. Not Remellion. That's not even a thing, is it? it Gal Bradbrook. Extinction Rebellion. Yeah? Closer yeah. to the truth, Jen? Yeah. What are you? A hermit crab? <laughs> uh, and what was I again? The mighty cougar. The mighty ju- the cougar. Ju- the mighty cougar, cougar. The <laughs> oh, cougar it, of the mountainside. See oh. my neckerchief. Tukin. Look at my power. Toucan. Toucan can play that game. <laughs> Toucan would totally wear a neckerchief. You were one year away from being a wolf, though. I'm so no, gutted.
1: But you... Yeah, but that doesn't...
0: No. I got a lot of wolf qualities. I'm lupine and you're oh. a crow. Have a look at that website and let us know. Communicate with us because this is. I'm doing some game shows now. Two game shows. One, oh, yeah. look at your totem animal because it might be interesting to you. I'm the mighty cougar of the mountains. No. What am I again? Toucan. <laughs> Toucan playing that game. What, with a big banana beak? Yeah, you saw a picture of it, remember? Yeah, I saw that picture. It's Where did you see you. it? It's <laughs> Southwold, Southwold. <Southwald? laughs> it was in Southwold and they saw a Toucan. Oh, you were in these antique shops with your yeah. mates. That's right, huh? Yeah. And you bought yourself a little European cup. <laughs> a little pot. <laughs> That's what you do, is it? That's how you pass your time. Yeah. And Pottery. Yeah, I think I want more pots. Yeah? Mm. Okay. What do you mean? You're going to acquire and... You just put them around the house. I'll tell you. Yeah, lovely. I see how it works. You put them around the house. Nice. <laughs> I did a thing once where I made a pot. Pinch pot. Pinch pot. I made <laughs> it at a, Was it a pot or a bowl? Uh, it was a bowl. I think it's in that... No, a cup. I made a coffee cup. <laughs> it was a lovely coffee cup. Me and the wife, we made a coffee cup each.
1: <laughs> you should make a European cup.
0: I would like to make a little European cup but I'll tell you this the (laughs) cup I made very difficult to hold (laughs) pipey not it gets with a drink in it useless so one thing have a look at your totem animal tell us about that we'll chat to you about it other thing is uh, family family transfers I played a good game of family transfers with my wife she did say what's the point of the game and I said well what's the point in anything what's the point in anything she also said you don't have to sacrifice anything don't you have to sell she said would you sell your cousins James and Guy to get in here on Gracie, and I said I would negotiate that transfer. As much as I've missed my cousins James and Guy, now I've got Huron Gracie as a cousin. Which but I'd in love. football, they don't exchange, do they? Sometimes you do exchanges. This, but can you get someone without relinquishing someone? You could. You could build your squad, and that's what I'm suggesting. <laughs> bringing because I'm an only child, I'm bringing in a few people. Remember Tim Minchin as a brother, Hiron yeah. Gracie as a cousin. I'm really building out that family. With intellect and might <laughs> <laughs> in every direction. So you can tell us about your family transfers. Try not to dwell on the tragedy of selling a parent or anything. Focus more on purchasing in various mentors and elders and peers and perhaps even some underlings yourself. I don't know, maybe you want Greta Flundberg. I don't know what you'd do with a younger family member. I'm focusing much more on peers and elders. That's where. you Imagine Uncle Eckhart's hole. Yes, Imagine that. Christmas. He's there in a jumper, oh. as if he ain't adorable enough. He turns up at the house in a bloody, like, Christmas jumper with little strips of Christmas trees across them, horizontal stripes, each one with a band of Christmas trees. It should be absolutely gorgeous. What a way to spend the festive period, although, you know, you'd only have five others, but you can transfer in some of the grades. Uncle Deepak, Auntie Satish, although auntie he Satish. he's a man, but <laughs> maybe i call him Auntie to honour well, him. Well, what about women? Well, we've got uh, a lady, Gilbert. Helena Norbert Hodge, Elizabeth Gilbert. So lovely, lovely, lovely Christmas. I mean, they're going to miss their actual families and partners <laughs> and lovers, but that's not, yeah, to hell with them. That's not how the game works. Hey, so listen, um, join us for more of these podcasts if you want. I mean, I'm going to be doing them. <laughs> so if you want to come, come. If you want to see me live, see me live. Express yourself, yeah? Mm-hmm. Russell Brand, Under the Skin. Only from Luminary. Thank you.